Hey everybody, Dan Urban here along with Scott Fontana, and we're the Couchside Judges. Scott and I are practicing social distancing, so I'll anchor this week's show in the studio as Scott joins us over the phone to talk judging at UFC Brasilia on Saturday. It was a busy event for the judges, with the first nine fights going the distance, so we'll have a ton to discuss on that front. Of course, we'll have plenty to say near the end of the show about the circumstances leading up to the Brazil event, as well as everything else the UFC is still planning despite the coronavirus pandemic. Later in the show, we'll revisit and score the fight of the night from UFC's first New York City event between Tyron Woodley and Steven Thompson, applying our own Couchside Judges scoring system to that fight. So let's start with contested rounds. There were only five judges working in Brazil. They had their work cut out for them. Scott, where do you want to start? Dan, I want to start with uh, with the big flyweight fight on the prelims between Brandon Moreno and Juicy A. Formiga. You know, this was a really important contest at 125 pounds, and I really think the judges dropped the ball. They gave the win to Moreno. It was pretty lopsided on the cards, but I really thought Formiga should have won rounds one and three. How did you see that one? For sure. I definitely thought Formiga got robbed here. Yeah. Did you think the same rounds? Round one and round three, he definitely deserved those rounds. What what was it that you thought was strongest from Formiga in round one? Okay, so round one, Formiga grabs a standing guillotine and jumps guard. And it's pretty tight. He's the reason the fight ended up on the ground. Yeah, Okay. He, no, absolutely. He dictated where it was going. So you can't just automatically start scoring it from Reno having top position. And that shouldn't be scored anyway. That's not effective. So Marino finally escapes the guillotine. And, but he doesn't really land anything of any significance when he starts. He, you know, he stands up in the guard, and Formiga hits him with an upkick, which gives him the opportunity to come up, take the back, scramble, and end up in the mount. Oh, yeah. Definitely a, a clearly effective offense because it set up something else that was equally effective, if not greater. That was the most significant part of you know that exchange. He ends up in the mount. While brief, he still got to the mount there, uh, ended up in the half guard ultimately. And for some reason, he didn't feel like striking. I don't know why he didn't do that. Maybe that is a reason the judges didn't see it for him. But, you know, he's on top. He's got him. It's a pretty tight, you know, half guard. Marina can't really do anything. And the ref saves him with a stand up. Yes, that was a terrible stand up. Awful stand up. I mean, that, that's just a bad stand up. Even though Formiga wasn't doing anything, you can't stand him up there. And it, they, he didn't give enough time either. Not at all. No, the, the, the leash was way too short on that. And I thought. That was probably one of the things that really hurt him there in terms of losing the round because he could have continued to hold that position. Not that he should be holding it, but he earned that position. I don't think you should take that from him. Right. So they stand up and you know the, the round pretty much ends like right, 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 right at that point. Yeah, um, I, I guess in theory they just liked Moreno striking better, but it, that was not really the tale of the fight. It wasn't incredibly effective striking in my opinion. I really thought his... Uh, Formiga's grappling was the much more effective offense from that round. In my opinion, Formiga was the only one that had any effective uh, offense in that round. That's why I gave it 10-9 Formiga. Oh, yeah, for sure. Same. What about round three, though? We agree on this, but what did you see exactly? I saw early Marino was winning the stand-up exchanges, but there was really, again, nothing that significant. Formiga ends up getting a takedown, and he mounts him like almost instantly. Yeah. Uh, again, he doesn't really throw really anything. He does throw. He does throw more than he did in round one, and he's content to just ride it out and mount. But again, that was the most significant offense of that entire round. I got to score it ten yeah. nine for Mika. I I don't understand that score. How did the judges see those rounds anyway? Let's 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 make sure everybody understands where the judges were. Okay, so the judges that were on this on this fight 
were Sal Diamato, Hallison Pontus, and Guilherme Bravo. They all saw round one for Marino, which is absurd. And they all saw, uh, actually, no, Sal Diamato saw round three for Formiga, while Guilherme Bravo saw round three for Brandon Marino. And Hallison Pontus actually did score it for Formiga. Yeah, then I don't understand what Bravo was seeing in that round for, for, for Moreno. Somehow he had it a clean sweep for Moreno, 30-27. That's just a terrible scorecard. It's a bad scorecard for sure. At the very least, round one, I don't see it the other way, but you can make a better argument that it could have gone to Moreno for round one than round three. I, I don't get that at all. This is a 29-28 fight. It should have been Formiga. You can begrudgingly accept round one going to Moreno, but I, I just I don't like it. And I really thought this was unfortunate for Formiga, who, gosh, he's, he still doesn't have a, a title fight at this weight. And he's really been one of the best at this weight for 10 years now, before the UFC had the division. Yeah, I, actually, me, I don't accept round one going to Moreno. I, 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 don't, I just don't see it at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see it either, but there's more of an argument because of the striking there. And unfortunately, now we, we have Formiga who's going to be sitting on the sidelines, waiting even longer for a title shot if he ever gets one. Uh, nothing against Moreno. I just I didn't think he win the fight. No, nah, he lost that fight. So who's next, Scott? Next, I want to talk about Elizeu Zaleski Dos Santos against Alexei Kunchenko. This was a close fight. I had it the other way of the judges. I do understand why they gave it to Dos Santos here, but I really thought that Kunchenko was a lot more offensive in the last two rounds, and I thought that's where he took the fight away. But again, I do see an argument for Eliseo Capoeira here. Yeah, I actually scored the fight 29-28 for uh, Dos Santos. Okay, so which rounds did you give him? So I gave him rounds one and three. I thought round one was, was pretty clear that it was a Dos Santos round. I don't know if there was much uh, much to argue there. It wasn't really a, no, an action-packed no. round. No, it wasn't, but it was his round. All three judges and myself agree that Dos Santos got round one. Uh, rounds two and three are the ones that there's a little bit more debate over from both the judges and among you and I. So uh, the way I saw it, though, was that Kunchenko, again, he took rounds two and three. We actually had two of the three judges, D'Amato and Bravo, they both agreed that Kunchenko took round two. I thought that was the closest, actually, of the rounds. So I, I understood why Joseph Terrell went for Dos Santos there. But round three, I actually thought was a little more clear for Kunchenko, but he only got that round from Terrell. Now, all three judges had given this fight 29-28 to Capoeira, but they did it in a little bit different way. How did you see the rounds? Okay, I had round one for Dos Santos. I had okay. round two for Kunchenko, and I had round three for Dos Santos. We're off. So you you went that way. Okay. Yes. Why why did you go that way in round three? So round three I actually thought was the closest round in my opinion. Okay. I saw there was like no clear striking advantage the entire round. And Dos Santos lands a takedown at the end, albeit throwing no strikes, no nothing he didn't it didn't lead to anything. So I didn't want to use aggression or control as the tiebreaker, because in my opinion it was dead even. I figured grappling all, while it was no it didn't lead to anything. I felt that was the better thing to use as the tiebreaker. So I gave it to Dos Santos. I guess if you do see it as tied, then I can understand why you're saying, okay, at least a takedown is some form of grappling offense, uh, which it is not the most effective, but it is. I thought that Kunchenko's strengths were more effective, more impactful. 
not by wide margin, but enough to give him the round. And I just didn't think, again, that takedown didn't weigh much for me when I had an advantage striking-wise for Kunchenko. But right. I, I can understand your thought process. This was a close fight, and the fact that it didn't go Kunchenko's way, it's not a robbery for certain. It had nothing to do with being in Brazil because there were no fans in the arena in this bizarre situation, which we'll have to talk about a lot later. But we'll get to that. You know, Capoeira, like I said, he didn't steal one, but I just didn't think he won it. That's okay. This is one of those tough ones, I I think. We're talking about very close rounds, round two and three. Yeah. Not, a, not a ton of action overall in the fight. It's It wasn't dead, but it, was, it wasn't the most exciting fight. Right. Very close round, no robbery. All right, moving on. Scott, what's the next fight? We're going to talk about Enrique Barzola against Ronnie Yaya. 135-pound bout. This is actually Barzola's debut at the weight. Yaya's been here a while, but he's also gone between featherweight and bantamweight before. This one ended up as a draw, and I thought that was completely justified because Yaya took the first two rounds, and then Barzola got a 10-8 in round three, right? Perfect. But one judge did not see it that way, and I think we need to call him out for it. Who was that? Sal Diamato. You got to be better, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand this score. And to not give a 10-8 in round three, I think that that's, like, really bad. Yeah, so he ended up giving both round two and round three to Barzola 10-9. But it was pretty clear who won round two, and it was definitely Yaya. But then round three, like we're saying, this is a dominant round for Barzola. He came back strong. It was a really strong round. It was really just Yaya hanging on to legs and, and kind of hoping not to take too much of a beating. It's, right, yeah. it, it was total survival mode. This yeah. is, you know, when, when you're talking about 10-9s and 10-8s, typically with the criteria, they're saying, okay, at least if someone is being competitive, that's where they sometimes like to steer away from a 10-8 and keep it more of as a 10-9. He was not being competitive. He was truly in survival mode. And that's, that's textbook 10-8, right? Absolutely. I think he got shut out in striking. I think that was. I think he didn't land a single strike that round. That's believable. He was completely gassed that round. He was shooting very lazily. You know, he ended up pulling deep half guard. Didn't work out for him. You know, he ended up in a Kimura. This is what we often see from Ronnie Yaya. He does kind of tend to run out of steam a little bit later. I don't know if it's that he's just not the most well conditioned athlete or or what. I mean, he's a, he's a little guy. It's you know we're talking we're not talking about heavyweights that can't last more than seven minutes. It's a little surprising that he hasn't fixed it at this point in this game. He's been he's been a professional mixed martial artist for going almost two decades now. He's he's a true veteran of the lightweights. Yeah, for sure. I think maybe, you know, wrestling is just really, really hard. Oh sure. No question. But this is his bread and butter. He's he's a true Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, standout on the world stage and, and to to see him not be able to go that long this far into his career and it not even being a new problem, it's disappointing. But to get back to the fact of D'Amato scoring it for Barzola, that doesn't make any sense. And at least we had two judges that went the correct way here, gave it a majority draw. Right, in round two. Round two you're talking about. Yes. Get Scoring it for Barzola. Yes. Right. That one in particular was, it just didn't add up. I don't understand. Yeah, there wasn't really any strike in that round. You know, basically, you're just scoring on the grappling there, and Yaya had, had that. Now, there was a couple other rounds that probably deserved 10-8s. Uh, Scott, you want to talk about those? Yeah, a couple of deserving fights for 10-8s where we didn't see them unanimously selected, or, or even at all. The first being Amanda Hibas in her 
clear victory over random Marcos. And first off, Hibas looked awesome. I thought she just, I think she looks like a fantastic prospect. I can't wait to see her come out again and, and get some more fights at 115 pounds. Yeah, she looked really strong. Round one, she definitely deserved a 10-8, and she didn't get it on all of the scorecards. She did get it on two of them. But Dan, who who was the judge that didn't give her the 10-8? Michael Bell uh, only scored it a 10-9 for round one. Ah, uh, Mike Bell, you, you're better than that. He he can give those out. And actually, he did give the 10-8 in round three, which was another dominant round. Again, this was a hugely dominant fight for Hubas. All three judges gave round three a 10-8. But the fact that he didn't see round one as a 10-8, I don't understand why. Yeah, round one, I mean, it was total domination. It was. It was. She set the tone from the beginning. Marcos, just, she didn't look like she belonged in the cater with her in this fight. And I actually like random Marcos, too. I just... This was not her day. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> not at yeah. All. He bus really took it to her. Heavy ground and pound. She passed the guard at will. Really, Marcos had you no know, no offense at all that round. No, and that's a ten eight. But but at the very least, again, everybody, the other two judges got it right. So we can't be too mad. We have thirty twenty five for Hebas in this one. Totally deserved. Right. Yeah. That's how I scored a thirty twenty five. But another fight, and I don't know if, where you ended up with this one. The judges gave no 10-8s in this round, but I thought Bea Malecki against Veronica Macedo, that was definitely two 10-8s for Malecki, round two and three. What about you? I actually ended up giving round three a 10-9 for Malecki. Why? Why didn't you go to the 10-8? I thought at the end, Macedo was landing big winging shots, and I was like, yeah, maybe that closed the gap, and I kind of felt a little weird if I put that down as a 10-8 with, with that offense at the end. I didn't think it was all that effective, though. I, she was just kind of flopping around and throwing double spinning back fists. And it just, she didn't look like she had anything really technical left. She wasn't, she looked pretty solid, actually, in the first round. I, I was I was saying aloud to myself in the first round that Malecki's skill looked like it was just being insanely taller than Macedo. But then you really started to see her pick her apart with the Muay Thai rounds two and three and use that 10 inch reach she had, which was insane. And I really thought that Macedo just didn't have any gas left. And it, it was it showed. She had heart, but she had no gas. Right. She was totally gas. She was flopping around like a fish out of water mm-hmm. on some of her takedown attempts. And again, no judges gave 10 eights in any of these rounds. I would have given out two of them. You'd only give out one. Yeah, round two, I would have given a 10 eight. Fine. You can't get too mad about it. They still got it right. Malecki won, but I really thought the score should have reflected how dominant she was. Or if they gave a 10 nine there. And in round three, Macedo somehow gets that round. I don't think that fight is a draw. Right, that's definitely not a draw. That would have been a robbery of a draw. All right, Scott, any other fights you want to talk about real quick? Yeah, just real quick, I want to note that Nikita Krylov versus Johnny Walker. Round two definitely was for Krylov, and all three rounds were for Krylov, but one of the judges did not see it that way. Who was that? Actually, Scott, two judges had it for Walker. Round two, yeah, who were they? Sal D'Amato, and Mike Bell. Yeah, I didn't see a good argument for Walker in that round. Krilov was dominating position. He, he started to lose near the end of the round where Walker started coming on, but I just didn't think he took it. Right, I didn't think it was enough. I thought it was a little too, it was too little too late to close the gap. Even though the punches he were throwing were pretty heavy, it just wasn't enough. No, I agree. But you know what, they got it right. It wasn't that big a deal in, in, the, uh, in the long scheme here because Krilov ended up getting the win, as he deserved. Right. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't a great fight. We were hoping for something much better. I was looking forward to this fight, and it just it didn't live up to expectations because of Krilov's strategy. Oh, well, they both have no gas tank either. 
to be fair, they're at altitude in, in Brasilia. That's hard. That's hard. And again, we're talking about a global pandemic. So who knows? Maybe these guys uh, were fighting with coronavirus. We'll find out in a few days. Um, <laughs> the other fight, real quick, I want to touch upon was uh, Francisco Trinaldo getting the clear and all-encompassing win over John McDessie in a kickboxing match. Trinaldo, who his nickname, Masaranduba, is my favorite nickname because it's just such a fun thing to say. Masaranduba. That's a fun word. It's so great. I love Portuguese. <laughs> But in round three, MacDessie got the nod, and I just didn't see it. I don't understand that. But it was only from one judge. Which, which judge? Again? Right. Mike Bell gave him that round. I don't know how he saw it that way. I'm not really sure what fight he was watching. MacDessie failed to you know, string any offense together. He might get one shot here and, there, here and there, but he was never able to really string anything together. No, after round one where you saw him throwing a bunch of leg kicks, he, he landed a bunch of them, but I just didn't think they were that effective. Uh, you didn't see much of anything from him in, in, a, in a way that I would say, oh, yeah, he outdid uh, Masaranduba. Right, yeah. He completely failed, you know, to land any combina- any combinations. You know, he didn't know how to, you know, find his range. He couldn't, couldn't penetrate. Uh, he just didn't have it. No, no, certainly not. This was Trinaldo's fight. But, again, this was one outlier. Otherwise, everyone got that one right. Not that big a deal. So that does it for all the gripes we had. Scott, what did the judges get right? Well, actually, they got a few fights right. Uh, all, all told, all three judges got them right. Marina Morose got the clear 29-28 victory over Mayra Bueno Silva. She definitely won the first two rounds. She she was eating it in round three. It didn't quite get to a 10-8 level, but she had a she had a rough finish and and she was able to walk away with, I don't know, maybe want to say salvage a win or was able to kind of sneak out with a victory there. But it was deserved, and the judges got it right. Uh, they also got it right with David Dvorak getting a 29-28 over Bruno Silva at flyweight. Dvorak took rounds two and three on all three scorecards. But also in the main event, the first two rounds were scored for Charles Oliveira as he clearly was beating Kevin Lee before he got the submission. Yeah, he looked really good. He did. Now, that was actually my favorite finish of the night. I just I thought that was great. Uh, Oliveira's offensive-minded grappling that whole fight was awesome. He was threatening all fight with subs. Lee's takedown-minded approach was actually what left him exposed in round three as he kind of dropped down for a single and maybe to transition to a double or something like that. And Oliveira sets it up beautifully with the with the guillotine and, and drops down. Perfect execution. Yeah, he actually landed a nice teep to the gut. Right he be- did, yes. Right before he, you know, he locked up the guillotine. I think that's probably what necessitated the takedown from Lee. I think he was probably like, all right, I don't like this. I want to try and take this down now. Yeah, Oliveira looked really good, but that actually was not my favorite finish. My favorite finish was Hanato Moicano choking out Demir Hadzovic. Yes, that was fun too. There was a lot of trash talk after the fight, which you usually don't see. Oh, yeah. I mean, Moicano was, was totally fired up after he got it. He was standing over him, and it was it was just like, what, what did he do? <laughs> and one of the funniest things I've ever ha- I've ever seen happen in the cage, Moicano is yelling at him, saying, "I want to fight. I wanted to fight longer." And you know, Hadjovic just looks at him and goes, "Well, you shouldn't have submitted me then." <laughs> That's wonderful. And the best part is, if there were fans there, we probably wouldn't have heard it. But this was a unique situation with an empty arena, and we got to hear that, and it was it was fascinating. Yeah, it makes you think. What else has been said over the years? Oh goodness, the, the, all the shenanigans and and fun things we missed. Uh, such is life. 
All right, it's time to hand out our grades to the judges in a segment we call Lest Ye Be Judged. Scott, who was your best judge of the night? For me, it was actually Mike Bell. Uh, I thought he was pretty strong otherwise. I dinged him for round two going to Walker instead of Krilov, and for round three going to McDessie over Trinaldo. But those were kind of small gripes. Uh, he also didn't give a 10-8 to Hebos in round one but he did in round three. Otherwise, we saw everything the right way. So I ended up giving him an A-. minus. I thought he was really strong. Okay, I actually thought the best judge tonight was Joseph Terrell. Okay, yeah, he had a good night too. Yeah, he got Hebus Marcos correct. You know, along with mostly everything else uh, he scored, he saw it my way. The only knocks I have for him are Malecki getting a 10-8 in round two. Uh, he didn't give her a 10-8 in round two. Yeah. And I didn't think he should have gave Dos Santos round two. Okay, all right, that's fair. But uh, <laughs> who who screwed up the most in Brazil? Again, we're saying this name, Sal Diamato, as one yeah. of the worst judges of the night. He was the worst judge of the night, by far. I mean, he didn't give Barzola a 10-8 in round three and gave round two to Barzola, which is, you know, crazy. He got Marino and Formiga wrong. You know, he did have a lot of assignments, which I, which is why I cut him a little slack in my grade, but he still got a D plus. Yeah, he had 23 round scores turned in. It was a really busy night for him. So in that sense, I sympathize with him, especially given everything that's going on with the fact that he had to fly from the United States all the way down to Brazil. And then, of course, was trying to get home, I think, right after. But I I just I can't cut him enough slack here. I gave him an F. And this is actually the second straight week in which I gave him an F. I, I thought he dropped the ball pretty bad in Vegas at UFC 248 also. So not a strong month for Sal Diamato, unfortunately. One of our more veteran judges who judges all over the world. What about the commission in Brazil? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, honestly, I have to give them a lot of credit. Even aside of my gripes with D'Amato's judging, I thought the judges did pretty well. These were veteran judges that were assigned there. Bravo's one of the best judges in Brazil. They got D'Amato, who, yeah, he's, he's kind of in a rut right now, but he's still strong. Mike Bell is great. I thought you couldn't really do a lot better given the circumstances. They were very overworked because there were only five of them doing 12 fights. And the first nine fights went the distance. That's so tough. There's, there's just not enough breaks when you have that few judges. But again, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. They had to be worried about their health. I wish that they weren't put in that position, but we'll have more to say about that after we get to pass judgment. Speaking of past judgment, let's get to it. As always, here's where we look further back and apply our own couchside judges scoring system to a past fight. This week's edition involves the former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley, who had been scheduled to fight this coming Saturday in London before the coronavirus changed everyone's plans. We're going to take on his 2016 title defense against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, the first of two times they would face each other. At the time, this one was declared a majority draw, so let's see if the CSJ system we use will produce a clear winner. Our criteria is pretty simple. It's about the same as the ABC's 10-point must system with a few key changes. We dropped aggressiveness and area control as tiebreakers when effective striking and grappling are even. This allows for more frequent 10-10 rounds. A 10-9 round for us is one in which a fighter had a slight but noticeable advantage. A 10-8 is for a round clearly and easily won by one of the fighters. And a 10-7 is for a dominant round that you might think of as a 10-8 round by the current ABC standard. All of this allows for more diverse round scores without blowing up the entire 10-point must system. Scott, give us a little background on this fight before we get to the action. So this was UFC 205 on November 12, 2016. 
at Madison Square Garden. The very first time the UFC was able to put on a show at Madison Square Garden because only earlier in the year had New York State finally sanctioned MMA events. They were the last holdout in the United States. So thank goodness that they finally got it done. Most people will remember this as the fight when Conor McGregor became champ champ. But this was actually the first title defense of Woodley's reign at welterweight because he had just knocked out Robbie Lawler in the first round four months earlier. And Wonderboy Thompson coming in as the challenger, he was on a seven-fight win streak. Earlier in the year, he had beat Rory McDonald by decision and knocked out Johnny Hendricks in kind of his I-have-arrived moment in most people's minds. So Vegas really liked Wonderboy at this point. They had him at minus 200 with no respect for the champ. I don't really understand that one. That's ridiculous. Uh, it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of four years ago, four and a half years ago, but even then, uh, I don't really see why they were going with that. But that's neither here nor there. I was actually in-house covering this fight as a, in a press capacity, uh, so it was really awesome to be there. It's such a historic night. That sounds awesome. It was cool. It was cool. I was sitting up on the chase bridge, uh, so I wasn't cage side, but it was it was a unique view of the fights and, and just being in house, especially with all the Irish fans there for Connor. That was pretty cool. All right. So Scott, who were the judges for this fight? Yeah, we had Derek Cleary, Doug Crosby and Glenn Trowbridge. And the referee was uh tan Dan Maragliata. So round one, Dan, take us through round one. Slow start as usual with the wonder boy fights. Yes. He likes to stalk you. You're trying as your as the opponent's trying to, you know, figure a way in. And yeah, they really just circle for a while. Woodley's often pretty content to kind of sit on the outside in these fights. Um, and no one was really landing here. It was right. it was very tepid. I, I wasn't really enjoying it to start. Right. And then finally, Wonderboy throws a kick. Woodley catches it and takes him down. Yeah. And he gets half guard really quickly, Woodley. Right. Passes the half guard and he just starts, you know, landing the ground and pound. It was like kind of intermittent at first. But as the round wore on, it was it was a lot more... Um, forceful, impactful, and you kind of saw him very steadily moving up from that. You know, this is this is like a you know it's a decent ten nine round, moving on up, and then oh cool, you know maybe this is this is a pretty clear round for him. This is a good round, in my opinion. It, it wasn't a dominant round. Yes, but I scored it as a dominant round because I felt Wonder Boy didn't do anything that round, and I felt obligated to give it a ten seven. Ooh, see, I disagree. And I'll tell you, before we even get to my score exactly, Woodley did have the significant strike margin, 14 to 1. So you're right, it was it was very one-sided. But as I was watching it, I just, because you said it wasn't dom- like truly dominant, I just didn't think I could go 10-7 there. So I went 10-8 under our criteria. Which is fair. I actually fought... You know, in my head, do I, is this a 10-8 or a 10-7? And mm-hmm. I, I leaned more to the 10-7. Yeah, and, and as we'll see later, we're going to get a pretty clear 10-7. So for me, that's kind of what I'm looking for is what we'll get to later on. Right. But when I was watching it, even then, I was just like, no, this is this is kind of a textbook 10-8 in our system. Easy call for me. Did any of the judges score a 10-8? Yeah. <laughs> Doug Crosby gave it a 10-8 at the time, which to me was pretty excessive. I, I, I don't really see why that's a 10-8. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if I would have actually given it a 10-8. That's where my struggle comes with, because I don't know if I would have given it a 10-8 using, you know, the standard ABC 10-must point system. I just don't know. Yeah, but what blows my mind is that there is a round later on, again, that we'll get to, where Crosby does not give a 10-8, 
And that's kind of textbook 10.8 even under the unified rules. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the other judges had this at 10.9, which to me was r- the right call for the time. But in our system, 10.8, you have a 10.7. I, I get what you're talking about. I disagree with you, but I can see that. But again, this allows us to put much more of a stamp on this round and say, okay, Woodley definitely won it. Right. It was definitely a Woodley round. And I had a large margin round. I think that's what it came down to. Round two, much closer, though. Right. Another typical start, you know, eventually Woodley ends up with a clinch and puts him against the fence. And he just lands a few, you know, stay busy knees. I guess just trying to either rest or clinch him against the cage, you know, hold on to him for a little bit. I I don't know what he was doing. I was surprised that he didn't go back to the well with a takedown in this round or really in any other round. That, That was actually the only takedown of the fight from Woodley. Yeah, he may he probably should have wrestled more. I mean, I don't know if he ever said why he didn't. It was a little disappointing for him because, as you see here, it becomes, other than this this little clinch uh, that we were talking about, this was mostly kickboxing, and that's Thompson's world. Uh, it was definitely not the most action-packed round. Thompson only outlanded Woodley 6-4 to four in significant strikes. Uh, so we had two strikes per minute from the right, total yeah. fighters it was not it was not action-packed right yeah wonder boy actually started to find his range in this round you know albeit yes. not many strikes but you know he did land some clean ones he was starting to get comfortable and, and his strikes were much more impactful than i think uh woodley's were so i ended up giving him the round but we're only talking about a slight margin here so in our book that's a 10-9 yeah same here 10-9 and that's how all the judges had it that way too so right now woodley is up 19 to 18 in my book Crosby also saw it the same way because for some reason that was a 10-8 under ABC scoring. And uh, Cleary and Trowbridge had it even here in 1919, which again, I think that's a weakness of the scoring system because those two rounds, they're not equal to each other. That, but but where do you have it at this point? What, what's your what's your total score through, through two rounds? My total score right now is 19-17 to 17, Woodley. Right, okay. That makes sense. Round three. They had a pretty good back and forth the the entire round. Uh, I just slightly favored Thompson again. I thought he landed the cleaner strikes, and I gave him a 10-9. Yeah, kickboxing all the way here, which, again, I I didn't see why Woodley was going in that direction. Sometimes his fight IQ is a little hit or miss. Uh, I wonder if it's just because of his pacing issues that he, he feels like he needs to pace himself out over five rounds. He has a tougher weight cut than most. But the, the, the action did pick up a little bit slightly. You, you saw Wonderboy landing a lot better. He had a 10 to 8 significant strike advantage, and it was all at distance. Uh, I also went 10-9 for Thompson here, and I think, I think that's pretty much the only way to go. All right, so Scott, speaking of his fight IQ, in round four, I will weigh in on that. Oh, right on, right on. We'll get to that. But we might as well share what the judges at the time had. Trowbridge gave this round to Woodley. It was close, but I, I just... I don't see it. Uh, it was definitely close. Uh, I just, I thought, you know, Thompson landed better. Yeah. So at this point, I have it 28 28. So now we're tied through three going into yeah. the championship rounds. Again, Doug Crosby and I are in lockstep right now. Trowbridge has Woodley up 29 28, and Cleary has 29 28 for Wonder Boy. Uh, so if it was me at the time, I would say Cleary's scorecard is the one that makes the most sense to me. And I had a 28-27 Woodley heading into round four. Okay, yeah, round four. This is the round. This is the round where all the action happens. Yeah, this was a great round. Uh, Woodley drops Thompson. 
and he just swarms. You know, Wonder Boy's hurt badly, and I don't understand why Woodley decides he's going to attack a guillotine. You know, I'd like to see at least the effective offense there. I can understand him trying it on someone like Thompson. It's not It's not as if Thompson is known for his grappling. But he had him hurt bad, and sure. I think if he just keeps striking, he's probably going to finish. You know, the funny thing for about Woodley for me is when I used to watch him back when he was in strike force and still kind of coming up as a prospect, he was making his name because of his wrestling mixing well with the, with a, a pretty solid submission game that I thought. I was like, oh, this guy, maybe he's going to turn into a really interesting you know, wrestler submission artist. But then he found that power. Uh, he was throwing those Woodley bombs. So he became just a, a really well-rounded fighter at this point. So I can understand him why he went there. But I, under, I also understand why you didn't like it either. You want him to just throw punches and try to get it over with. Listen, I, I love subs. Yeah, I know you do. It was super tight, too. I'm actually shocked uh, Wonder Boy was able to survive, but I just don't understand in that situation why you just don't keep punching. Yeah, and I don't know if this is if this ended up being costly or not for him. He ended up with a just a huge margin on the on significant strikes. It was twenty four to four. Thompson near the end started getting him a little bit back of the advantage. He ended up uh, on top and was landing a little bit, but it, it certainly wasn't enough to take any momentum back. No, absolutely not. Definitely a ten seven Woodley. 10-7 in our book for sure, which really means it should have been a clear 10-8 at the time. But only Derek Cleary went 10-8 for Woodley, which, why? why? What are you not seeing there? This was, uh, at some point, I really thought Thompson was was almost out. He, he looked, like, especially when he got landed, when he, when he got dropped with that knockdown, I thought he was in a different zone and just came back. Yeah, you know, one thing about the 10-8, it's possible that I believe in 2017 they passed the updated criteria. That is when, yes. So this would this would have been before that. So that's possibly a reason. But Doug Crosby again had a 10-8 in the first round for Woodley. So what's the difference? I uh, you know maybe this was a makeup call. <laughs> maybe I, I don't know. I I don't. I would. I always like to give the benefit of the doubt to the judges and say they don't do that. But maybe I'm a little naive there. I don't know. But at this point. We have Woodley up on my card, 38 to 35. So the best Thompson can do under CSJ criteria is get a draw or a finish. Yeah, and he's up 38 to 34 on my card. So all he can do is finish on your card. There's there's no path right. to victory other than a finish. Okay. Right. Now, Cleary and Crosby also at this point have it 38-37 Woodley. And Trowbridge has it 39-37 Woodley. So at this point... The best Thompson probably can hope for from judges who are maybe not always giving out 10 eights is a finish. Right. Round five. Was all Wonder Boy. Uh, Woodley seemed to be gassed. I think he was a little gassed from probably inside of that final minute of the fourth round, too. So he, probably the last five or six minutes of the fight, he was kind of running on fumes. Wonder Boy was just landing. He landed really well this round. He did. He did. Yeah, it and- was about time. And Wood- Woodley had some, you know, a little bit of offense. You know, wasn't much. Sure. Uh, this was this was total Wonder Boy round. It was. He's never Thompson's never a volume guy. That's just not what he does. But he did land twenty one significant strikes, basically all at the head. Not all at the head, but it was a good amount of them targeting the head. He was doing some good damage there. Clearly trying to go for a finish. It, it wasn't materializing, and he wasn't overextending himself. It just wasn't enough to get it done. For me, that's a 10-8 round for Thompson because it was a clear round, but not dominant. Right, I had exact same way, 10-8 for Wonderboy. 
And all the judges at the time gave it 10-9 for Thompson. That's the way they should have had it. So they got it right for the time, of course. But I think under our criteria, the 10-8 says a lot better about how he did in that round. Because this was not the same type of round that he was winning in rounds two and three. It was a very clear one. It was a good performance as opposed to, yeah, I gave him a little edge there. So then after five rounds, what do you have it? I have it 46-44 for Woodley. He retains the title. Same, except 46-45 for Woodley. I had it a little closer because you and I differ on round one. But otherwise, you and I saw it the same way. And I think that reflects the fight because Woodley, even though his moments were pretty much isolated to maybe nine minutes or so of the fight, he was crushing it in those nine minutes. And I think that more than made up for anything that Thompson did over the rest of the fight. So the fact that he was able to get out of there with a draw, Thompson, I think that that was best case scenario for him. Yeah. And it led to another fight. It did. It, that, we don't need to talk about that one. That was a terrible fight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the judges though, at the time, Derek Cleary and Doug Crosby both scored it a draw. I think that's the right score. Even if Doug Crosby arrived at it in a strange way. And, uh, and Trowbridge though, gave it 48, 47 for Woodley, which even though both of us think Woodley deserved the victory, he went about it in such a way that just didn't make enough sense. How do you how do you not give how do you give out ten eighths the way you're doing? No no ten eighths even in the clearly dominant round four. Right, that's absurd. Uh, round three, I guess I guess his swing round is round three. Yes, it is. He, when he gives Woodley. That's right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it's probably because the new criteria. Wasn't out yet. It's disappointing, though, because, again, his, his fellow judges were willing to go 10-8 in separate rounds in this fight. So it's not like nobody was giving them out. It wasn't it wasn't kind of the dark ages of 10-8s where nothing was given out. Right. I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, it was a good fight. It, it definitely was a good fight overall. I didn't think it was as awesome on second viewing as I remember it being when I was in the arena. I remember thinking this was a cool fight. Uh, the energy in the arena was was just awesome at the Garden, and and that was fun. But I don't know, it just it kind of lacked that sizzle the second time. I don't think it's because I knew the result. It wasn't the same type of really awesome fight that we talked about a few weeks ago with Adesanya and Gastelum. Well, you know what? On your second viewing, you're you're viewing it to score it. When, yes. When you're there in the stands, you're there, even though you're there in a work capacity as a journalist. You're still amongst all these crazy fans who can't wait to see Conor McGregor come out. They flew in from Ireland. They're going insane. You know, you're, you're feeding off that atmosphere. When when we watch it again, we typically don't watch it with sound for the most part. And we're watching to score. We're not watching as a fan. That is true. I did watch this time without the sound on. So you don't, you don't feel the, even through your TV, you don't feel the energy of the crowd. Speaking of the crowd, though, real quick before we move on from UFC 205, I just want to note that as I was leaving the arena trying to leave the arena. None of the Irish fans were in a particular rush at all as they were just singing about Conor McGregor. And it was a really cool atmosphere to be in. Everybody was was so pumped about him winning the champ champ, getting the lightweight title over uh, Eddie Alvarez with that awesome knockout. He, he looked fantastic that night. The fans loved it. And it was cool to be there. I've got some videos, but they're not really of the highest quality. So I don't think I'll ever share them. That's just for me. Yeah, I bet that must have been awesome. It was, it was. All right, so that does it for past judgment, but we have to talk about the craziness that's going on in this world right now. With the coronavirus. Yeah, the coronavirus pandemic that's changing everything. The UFC seemed to believe that it wasn't a pandemic. I don't know what was going on. Scott, I know you have some 
thoughts on this? Let's hear it. Yeah, I feel very strongly that these fights in Brasilia just should not have proceeded. I don't think it was the most responsible thing for public health to do this for several reasons. You know, first off, it's way too risky for the fighters and the people of Brasilia. Let's go with a hypothetical here. Imagine a fighter is seriously hurt competing in a cage, so they have to go to the hospital. And imagine this fighter happens to either contract coronavirus when he was at the hospital or he brings it into the hospital. So not only is he there to manage his health for something that probably could have been avoided, he's got a compromised immune system. And now he's going to be asked to fight a disease that we don't fully understand. I don't think this was a good decision at all. I'm very disappointed that they did that. I'm not surprised in the least. I don't blame any of the fighters for taking this on because they're not paid enough. This was a reckless decision by the company, and, and I don't agree with it. And they didn't even test these fighters for the virus, which, okay, fine. If there's no kits around, fine. But maybe that's a sign you just shouldn't be doing it. Well, that's that's the craziest part for me is they were bringing these guys into fight, and they weren't getting tested. I just don't think they should have done it. It was it was good that we had something to watch, but was it really worth it in my mind? No. Yeah, probably not. But then UFC London, which is the fights that we were supposed to have this coming weekend with Tyron Woodley in the main event against Leon Edwards, Dana White was adamant about pushing London's event forward amid everything. He wanted fighters to fly in from all over the world to get there. He wanted the arena to still be fine. But fortunately... Cooler heads prevailed, and travel restrictions and the UK's decisions stopped that. So what they did was they ended up trying to move it to UFC Apex in Las Vegas. Finally, Nevada steps in and says, no, we're suspending combat sports. So Dana still won't postpone this thing. He's hoping to get Leon Edwards to fly in from England. And Leon was going to try, it sounded like, but ultimately decided, no, it was not a good idea. At least Woodley was in the country. But Dana still keeps the dream alive. He's still looking for anywhere to put this fight. He won't back down until there's a full quarantine, he says, on SportsCenter. And <laughs> I guess he was looking at places like tribal lands in the country where things aren't regulated the same way. And Yeah, he said it was going to be in Oklahoma. I couldn't believe that they would do that because they've always said... We've always come toward regulation. We put the fighters' health first. Da, 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 da. If there's no regulation, how are you going to manage that? It's inexcusable. But they were still trying to find opponents to step in to the place of Edwards to face Woodley. So you had guys like Gilbert Burns who just got the, the stoppage over Demi Mai on Saturday, and he looked really good. I know you were disappointed, but... Should have grappled. <laughs> you wanted more grappling. I get it, but that was a great win for Burns. I kind of saw it coming, as, as I said the other day. But Coley Covington, of course, was looking for an opportunity to promote himself. Woodley didn't think that it was sincere. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos wanted into this fight. Ultimately, they finally had to cancel it today, Monday, because the president recommended no more than 10 people gathered in one place. And that basically made it impossible for this to happen. Yeah, so they finally shut it down. The one thing, though, they were looking for unsigned fighters to fill this card. I, yeah. I just don't see the appeal to that. No, it doesn't make any sense. Like, credit to the fighters. Uh, I don't I mean, blame any them. fighters. Yeah, these guys, they need to make the most of their opportunities. But you're taking advantage of desperate people. And, and right. it's, I don't want to say it's evil, but it's really messed up. It's really messed up of the UFC to do this. It just sends conflicting messages, though, because you're not, you're not really prioritizing fire safety. So why say it? Don't don't tell us that. 
Yeah, they've always been about fighter safety, or so they say. You you had diehard fans on on Twitter that, that just love fights, and right. they're even like, "Come on, don't do this." <laughs> but even even the parent company of uh, the Endeavor. UFC, I believe, Endeavor, they could have stepped in. ESPN could have said, "No, we're not. You know, we're not going to put this on." I fault ESPN. I fault Ari Emanuel. I I fault all of these individuals and and entities because they really should apply more pressure than they did. It's disheartening that it took a decree from the president to get this done. They were even trying to plan Columbus and Portland events that they had to try and move to Apex. Those were ultimately postponed as well on Monday. Same deal. So now they're still trying to push Khabib Nurmagomedov against Tony Ferguson through. And look, I'm so pumped for this fight. I really want this fight. (laughs) This comes from a place of, of love of the sport and love of competition where I want to see these two fight. But it's not going to happen in Brooklyn. They're not even trying to hold it in the United States at this point. They're just they're going to look for any country in the world where they can get this fight to happen, I guess, next month. Where could it even be? You know, I think Canada has done pretty well with this crisis. I don't know if there's too many Canadian cases. Canada has closed its borders. Uh, okay. I think that there are exceptions for the United States, but I don't see why they would do something in this case. Right. I don't see Canada as viable. I think <laughs> look, I, I can't even begin to guess, but just Everyone, re- everyone's joking that they're going to do summer. it on a... What's that? They should just rebook it in the summer uh, for International Fight Week when things hopefully are, have calmed down. Oh, that would be good. I don't know you where know, that I... lines up with Ramadan, though, because uh, Khabib does not fight or train during Ramadan. Right. I mean, it's a good time to do it if, if everything is back to... <laughs> There's no normal in the United States anymore, but if, if we're back to what we consider to be the new normal by 4th of July weekend, that would be cool. It's actually the weekend after Fourth of July. Oh, okay. My yeah, my mistake. I, it's usually Fourth of July weekend. I guess they're doing it a little later. To, yeah, to, you know. Yeah, I think Fourth of July is really early in the week. That's why. Oh, is that it? Okay. Of course, we might still be under lockdown at that point. Who the heck knows? Yeah, who knows? I just the one thing that I take away from this that, I, and I really hope that all of the fighters pay attention to this situation right now is that they need to have a better lifestyle when it comes to working for the UFC. They're labeled as independent contractors. They're treated like employees. They get no benefits. You know, they don't even have health plans, which is insane. They get some treatments for injuries they suffer in fights and things like this, but it's not the same. I would love to see them wake up and say, okay, hey, none of us can compete for a little while. Maybe we should start organizing. They really should look into some form of organization so they can enter collective bargaining and try to achieve something the other major sports have in this situation, which is protections. These athletes in the NBA and baseball and hockey, they're okay in this situation. But other guys, especially the ones that aren't making $100,000 or more for a fight, which is still super low, they have to go work normal jobs, which can they even work normal jobs right now? We're, we're hearing things all over the place about maybe half the workforce is going to be laid off. That's, that's an extreme, but who can rule anything out right now? I'm worried about these fighters. They deserve more. They're the best in the world. And they deserve the best. I hope they can better their lives. Yeah, Nate Quarry seems to be the one pushing for it the most. Yeah, I think he sees the opportunity is now to to get this done. He is, but he's not a current fighter. You know, it needs to be guys that are on the roster. It needs to be top to bottom. You need right. You need but Connor support. You need you know John Jones support. You need all of these guys top to bottom, and you need to get the ones that are on the lower end and fearful of reprisal. They need to all still be on board. And for a few weeks, maybe even a few months, there's nothing the UFC can leverage over them. If everybody gets together, 
maybe something can happen. I just, I just want the best for these athletes. I, I respect them too much. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Couchside Judges. We should be back next week with another edition, but obviously we won't have any fights from this weekend to discuss. Maybe we'll give you guys some extra helpings of past judgment and make that a regular thing for the next few weeks. We'll get creative for you. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when those episodes drop. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay healthy and safe. Take care, everybody. Thank you.